I am generally a responsible person. I am. You don't have to tell me to pick up after myself. You don't have to tell me to clean up and put away my dishes. You don't have to tell me to pick up my laundry. Um, I do it without being asked, typically. If you invite me over to your house for dinner, when dinner is over, I'm going to ask you, can I help clean up? Now, on the whole, this trait of responsibility has served me well in life. But, but there have been times when I have taken responsibility for things I shouldn't have taken responsibility for. There are things that I had no business taking responsibility for. When I was a young pastor, there was a woman in my congregation whose husband cheated on her up and left and ran away with this woman and left his now ex-wife to care for their three children. The oldest was a boy who was mad at his dad, mad at his mom, mad at the world, and so he would swear at her, try to take swings at her, and then he would beat up his younger brother and sister. And so the mom came to me asking for help. Now, she never had a meeting with me where she sat me down and said, now, Pastor Max, I've got this contract here, and here's what I need you to do. You're going to agree to spend five to seven hours with my son every week. In 30 days, he's going to start to be respectful at home. In 60 days, he's going to stop beating his younger siblings. And in 90 days, he's just going to have the fruit of his, the Spirit in his life. If you'll just sign here and initial here at the bottom and then here on page two. We never had a meeting like that, but it was a latent expectation. It was a latent expectation. And... I'm ashamed to admit that I consented and I took on that responsibility and I began meeting with her son five, eight hours a week and, and we would meet and no progress was being made. He would go home and there were no rules, there were no boundaries, there were no consequences and so it didn't matter what I could do, really there was nothing that I could do and she got really, really mad at me and she left the church, she did. And she considered me to be just a pathetic pastor. And you know the irony of it? On the inside, I actually agreed with her for several years after that. I did. I took responsibility for something I shouldn't have taken responsibility for. So I want to tell you something very important today. Today is very, very important. Some of you may need to get out your phones at some point and write some things down. Today is one of those days. You're going to have people in your life who try to get you to rescue them from the consequences of their decisions, the consequences of their actions, the consequences of their attitudes and behaviors, the consequences of their unemotional health. They're going to try to get you to rescue them from those things. And some of these people shh, attend church. Don't look eyes forward. <laughs> this is one of those moments. You cannot look around the room. Eyes straight, eyes straight. Some of these people attend church. Some of these people belong to a church. John Maxwell calls these people EGRs, extra grace required. These people will suck the life out of you. 
They will beat you up emotionally. They will try to manipulate you. They're looking to you to solve their problems. I've got money problems. I'm sorry, Josh, can I borrow another 200 this month? I know I already owe you 1200, but like I promise, I know it's been six months in a row, but it's just, it's been one crisis after another or uh, emotional problems. I'm a mess. I need you to stay on the phone and talk with me four to five hours every night, every night so I can go to sleep or uh, relationship problems. I've been dating this guy and he up and left me and I need you to spend every waking moment with me. But three weeks from now, when he comes back into my life, I'm going to drop you like a hot potato and I will ignore you for the next six weeks. But then when he leaves me again, I will expect you to drop everything and be my BFF. Some of you are laughing because you've lived this with people. Dr. Brandon Park calls these people emotional vampires. Emotional vampires. There's the incurably insecure. They're constantly wondering, are we okay? Is everything okay? Is the relationship okay? I'm worried. Are we okay? Is this okay? Uh, I've been, that's been me at times. <laughs> There's been the drama queen, drama king. Everything is blown out of proportion, right? The drama king, drama queen. Then there are the blabbers. You will have a three-hour conversation with a blabber, and you will only say three things. Wow, uh-huh. Uh, wow, uh-huh. Wow, uh-huh. Oh. <laughs> and okay. There are the financial freeloaders, the people who habitually are in need, and it's usually due to poor financial decision-making. Here's the thing about EGRs and emotional vampires. You give and give and give, and you help and help and help, and they take and take and take until snap. You snap, and then you say no, but then they use guilt and every, how oh, could you, and blah, 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 and then you reverse course, and you start the cycle and the time clock all over again until you give and give and give and help and help and help and they take and take and take and then there's another snap, okay? Gang, there is a better way. There is a better way. Here's today's big idea. God wants you to love people without rescuing them. God wants you to love people without rescuing them. Love them, yes. Rescue them from the consequences of their actions, their behaviors, their attitudes, their unemotional health, uh, their emotional unhealth. No, absolutely not. Before we get into the text today, I want to ask a question posed by Dr. John Townsend in his book, Boundaries. So I give away a lot of Bibles. His book, Boundaries, is the number one book I've given away in ministry over the past many, many years. I give it away like candy, okay? Uh, and he asked this question in this book, who is asking you to be God? Who's asking you to take care of their money problems, their emotional problems, their unhappiness? Who is asking you to be God? So we're going to be in the book of Galatians today. Galatians is this wonderful letter in the New Testament. Paul wrote it to a group of Christians who had turned religion into something that they could use to control other people. Let me say that again because it's a new idea. I know it doesn't happen anymore, but Paul wrote this letter to a group of Christians who were using religion as a, as a way to control other people. So people would come in and they would say, listen, 
It's Jesus and the entire law of Moses, and we'll spell out what that is in detail. We have this 572-page document, and you need to do everything we say. Paul, Paul got so mad at them that in this fiery letter in the New Testament, he says at one point he's talking to about their circumcision of themselves, and circumcision has to do with male genitalia. And Paul says, basically, you know, when you're doing that, I wish the knife would slip and you cut the whole thing off. Paul says that in the Bible, the inspired word of God. <laughs> okay? All right? So there's a lot going on. Some of you are like, I forget the fish. I'm putting that on the back of the minivan. Okay? So, so Galatians chapter 6, we're going to go through this verse at a time because there's some important things here that I think God has to say to us. Galatians 6, 1, dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. The language here speaks to setting a broken bone. In other words, healing, mending a fishing net, the restoration of usefulness, refitting a ship, repairing damage, restocking it, making it ready for its next voyage. In other words, we Christians are not supposed to shoot our wounded. What typically happens in a church is somebody falls into sin or a sin pattern, has some bad consequences. We kick them out of the church and we all go, pew, 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 pew. what a terrible person that is, right? Paul's saying, no, 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 don't do that. Don't shoot the wounded. Work to restore them with gentleness. Why? Well, that's the next several verses, verses two through five. Share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. So there's a particular word here used for burdens, bauras, bauras. And it has to do with, like, it speaks to a giant boulder that you can't lift by yourself, like crushing you, literally crushing you, okay? And so this life-crushing, life back-crushing boulder is something you can't carry by yourself, and so Paul's saying, share each other's life-crushing burdens. What are some things like that? Divorce, a stage four cancer diagnosis. You show up for work one day and they say to you, hey, we have to let you go. In fact, the whole company's closing and shutting down. There's no severance at all. Sorry. Like those are some big boulders that can, can hit people. Uh, I, I have an expression that I've used for a long time. Uh, you, you had a house fall on you until Karen corrected me one day. She goes, well, if a house falls on someone, does that make that someone the wicked witch of the East? I was like, good point. <laughs> I'll stop using that. Okay. So, but the language here, Paul is using is something big, huge, back crushing stuff. Okay. And we're supposed to help one with one another with these burdens. And then he goes on, if you think you're too important to help someone, you're fooling yourself, you're not that important, pay careful attention to your own work, then you'll get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. In those two verses, he's saying, hey, keep your ego in check. It's easy to look at other people's lives who are a train wreck and go, I am awesome, I am awesome, you suck. And then he says, you can fall into the other trap where you're scrolling through their social media posts and everything else, and you're like, wah, you're so awesome, and I am a worm, and I never get to do anything, and my life sucks. 
And he says, avoid that. So whenever you're doing the comparison game, you're going to end up on the short end of the stick. So just don't do it because anytime you're comparing, you end up thinking more highly of yourself or thinking more lowly of yourself than you should. So stop it. Paul is basically saying that in these verses. And then he gets to the second part. That's verse five. For we are each responsible for our own conduct, our own load. Fortion is the Greek word used here, fortion. And it speaks to the kind of small knapsack that a soldier would carry. It's something manageable. And it's something that everybody can carry by themselves. What are some things in your knapsack, in your, quote, own conduct? Things like feelings, values, thoughts, what you cherish or treasure. And so Paul is saying we have to balance personal responsibility, the knapsack, with the giant boulders things. And he's wanting to see that, yes, we look out for each other, but everybody's got to have responsibility for what's theirs. We each carry our own knapsack, verse 5, but we help each other with the burdens that come in life. And then he goes on in verse 7, and he says this, Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you reap. And this is huge, particularly when it comes to emotional vampires and EGRs that you're going to have in your life. Part, what Paul is saying is sowing and reaping is reality. It's like gravity, okay? Gravity works 100% of the time. If you want to go to the Red River Gorge and walk off of something, Gravity is always going to work. It doesn't care what you feel on the inside. Gravity is always going to work. And so Paul is saying that there's a dynamic to life with sowing and reaping that people need to feel the consequences of their actions, their decisions, their attitudes, their emotional unhealth because those consequences, that falling off the gorge, so to speak, metaphorically, is often, not always, but often a catalyst for them to grow and change, okay? I don't know about you, but most of the growth in my life has not come because life was going really well for me, everybody liked me, and I was getting everything I wanted in life. I have not grown in those circumstances. I have grown when I have experienced pain, (laughs) That's when I've grown. And so Paul is saying, let sowing and reaping play out. Let this gravity work because the pain of reaping a bad harvest can sometimes, not always, sometimes lead to growth and change. And then he says, those who live to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death, but those who live to please the Spirit will harvest Life, And he's again fleshing out more this idea of sowing and reaping. Uh, And he spells out in the book this satisfy their sinful nature. He says, look, if you're selfish, uh, chapter 5, verse 16, you're going to reap quarrelsomeness. You're going to reap conceit, verse 26. You're going to reap envy, verse 26 uh, again. And then you're going to have an indifference to needs. And so Paul spells out in, in throughout the book of Galatians what that selfishness reaps. And then he kind of closes it all out in verse 9. He says this, So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, 
will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Hang in there. There's a connection, sowing and reaping. I know that there are a lot of times in life where it seems like an EGR or an emotional vampire doesn't ever get to reap what they've sown, but this life is not all there is. There is a connection between sowing and reaping. Sometimes there's a long delay, but it's there. It's how reality works. And so Paul says, don't get tired. I've, I've learned now at age 53 that a lot of success in life is just not quitting. <laughs> a lot of success in life is just not quitting. And I'm going to tell you, it's hard not to quit sometimes. It really is. But a lot of success, when you look at life over the long arc of 80 years, is just not quitting. Okay? So don't get tired of doing what is good. Again, God wants you to love people without rescuing them. Love them, yes. Rescue them from the consequences of their actions, their attitudes, their emotional unhealth. No. No. So again, who is asking you to be God in their life? Who's asking you to rescue them from something they should be taking responsibility for? Love without rescuing. Love without rescuing. So how do you do this? How do you apply this? I'm going to suggest two things today. First of all, Jesus says in Matthew 5:37, let your yes be yes and your no be no. So the first, uh, if you don't learn to say no, if you don't learn to say no, you're going to have Dish TV and Spectrum Cable and four streaming services. You're going to have a timeshare in Gatlinburg and in Orlando. You're going to have like 10 or 12 different life insurance policies, short-term, whole-term, life. I don't know all the terms they can have. <laughs> but if you don't learn to say no, there are going to be big consequences in your life. So first of all, when it comes to learning to say no, I want to give you this piece of advice. Never give a reason for saying no. Never give a reason for saying no. When I was really young, uh, one of my early mentors was a man named Lyle Dorsett. And he got asked to do everything. Everybody wanted to be his best friend. Everybody wanted him to speak at any event that they were having. He had no end of offers. And he would simply say, I, I'm sorry, I can't. I have a commitment. That's all he would say. He later told me after we graduated and we were still at Wheaton, uh, living as a young married couple, he pulled me aside and he said, Brother Max, you need to know that sometimes when I say, this is how he talked, uh, when I say I have a commitment, it's that I'm taking my Airedale Terrier for a walk in the neighborhood. <laughs> and I was like, what? And he said, don't ever give a reason for saying no. Here's what happens. When you give a reason for saying no, you empower the other person to dismantle your reason or to tell you why your reason isn't good enough. I have to go to bed. Well, you don't go to work tomorrow. Tomorrow's Saturday. You could sleep in. See how that works? Like as soon as you give a reason, you're empowering them. You're empowering them to dismantle your reason. So never give a reason for saying no. Okay? Just I can't or I have a commitment. 
Uh, I'm going to give you a magic, magic phrase to use. That doesn't work for me. So everybody stand to your feet for a moment. Stand to your feet. Put them apart. You got to practice this with me. I believe in you. Stretch. So put your feet apart. Put your hand on your hips. Look at me in a stern of face as you can muster and say this, these five words. Okay, ready? That. All right, try this again. I need another $500. Okay, you can sit down now. I feel better releasing you in a little bit. That doesn't work for me. That doesn't work for me. That tone of voice that you're using right now, that doesn't work for me. Uh, those hurtful things that you are saying, that doesn't work for me. That the, this behavior is inappropriate. That doesn't work for me. Okay, so you might need to try that phrase out. So let your no be no and five magic words that doesn't work for me. So learn to say no is the first way to walk this out. The second way is to give consequences. In Proverbs 19.9, we're told about the hothead or the rageaholic. If you've got a hothead or a rageaholic in your life and you never let them face the consequences of being a hothead or a rageaholic, you're always going to be walking on eggshells. You're never going to know when the bomb is going to go off. And it's going to be really, really hard. Okay? Now, some people are not going to accept your no. Some people are not going to abide by the five magic words. That doesn't work for me. Some people are going to, they'll disregard you. They'll disregard your health. They'll disregard your warnings. Uh, they'll disregard anything that you say. And this is where consequences come in. Some people emotionally on the inside are three years old. Some of you got parents and they're 65 or 70 chronologically, but on the inside, emotionally, they're three. And if I've learned anything in life, it is that you cannot reason with a three-year-old. You can, let me say this again for you parents. You cannot reason with a three-year-old. Preach it. Okay. You can't. Honey, did it? No, there's no honey this, there's no honey anything. Three-year-olds need consequences. Okay. So saying no and giving consequences is simple, but it works, okay? Uh, things like, if you continue this behavior, I will leave the room. That's a consequence. If you continue to talk to me this way, I'm hanging up. I'm sorry, mom. I'm sorry, I love you, but I'm not gonna take click. And then as soon as you hang up, turn off that phone for several hours. What? And then don't listen to the voicemails they leave. What? I'm telling you, this is a path of freedom. Okay, uh, if you continue behaving this way, I am not going to be able to give you my money, my time, my energy, my heart. You're going to be on your own. It does not work for me. Okay, saying no and giving consequences is simple, but it's hard work. And if, if you're at a point where you're like, Max, I could never do any of this, we should have coffee. And I may send you off to a therapist and there may be some things, but trust me, trust me, you will thank yourself for taking this step to loving people without rescuing them, okay? I'm gonna ask our musicians to come up. And again, this is the big idea today. Lo God wants you to love people, love people without rescuing them. Love them, yes. Rescue them from the consequences of their attitudes, actions, behaviors, no. If I had not learned how to say no, if I had not learned how to love people without rescuing them, I wouldn't be standing here today as your pastor. 
I would have burned out years ago and been another story of ministry hardship, okay? Um, now, here's, here's why this is important. I grew up in nowhere, Indiana, and in nowhere, Indiana, it's flat. You can look to the left, you see Illinois. Look to the right, you see Ohio if you're facing north. Um, and you can, but there's overpasses. The highest points in Indiana are overpasses. And on every single overpass are these two words, Jesus saves. Jesus saves. If you live in the South, they put them on billboards, giant billboards. And there's usually five or six in a row, and one of them's about hell, and one of them's about something else. But then there's one, Jesus saves. So here's what I want to remind you of. There is one Savior, and that's Jesus. That's not you, and that's not me. God saves. We don't. And so we have got to learn how to love people without rescuing them. Love says, I'm on your team, but I'm not going to fix your problems. I'm here to help, but I'm not here to rescue. 